This is Earth Riot Radio, and I'm here with Medea Benjamin and Tyg Berry. Amen. Hallelujah. Earth Hallelujah. Somebody give me an Earth Hallelujah here today. Earth Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise be. All right. Then you can see these are people of the faith. Now, Amen. <laughs> Medea and Tyg, we're we're in the midst of a, uh, a terrible, crushing war. But then I I. I think of your work and I think of, of the two of you identifying where violence is taking place, but where it is sometimes not known generally in, in the mainstream. And the mysteries of the press, we don't have, finally, after years and years, uh, Yemen sort of came up into the after that assassination and, and other things sort of kind of brought what was happening there to the, to the center of the uh, evasive American mind. But um, I'm, just, I'm just wondering, you are peace activists who um, uh, now hears this war that everybody knows about. Everybody knows about it, everybody's talking about it. I'm just interested to know how, how you feel about, about suddenly this one war blows up and becomes everybody's conversation after the last 31 wars, which you protested, uh, many of them remained, remained out of sight, out of mind. So what's that like? Well, to start off, when you were mentioning that thing press, I kind of, I'm a little agnostic when it comes to that, that uh, type of religion. Um, you know, it's, it's not really, we're not really sure if it really exists or if it's actually doing the thing that it says it's supposed to do. So I remain a skeptic about that. Um, but, you know, for myself, this is not speaking for Medea or Code Pink, myself, I've just seen so many places where people have had to run away from war zones. Mm -hmm. and uh, not been welcomed into countries or Europe inviting people in. Uh, and it just, it just saddens me. It saddens me greatly. You know, I'm, I, we, we went to, we were actually trying to get into Syria before the, the whole thing broke down and we couldn't get in. But we were in Southern Turkey when the first uh, group of migrants started pouring across the border. Mm -hmm. And Turkey basically put them in what we complain about in what I've seen on the media anyway, the Zhejiang, uh, you know, in, in China, um, in big giant fences and held them there. And then surprisingly, they would let them go when crop harvest time came. They would sneak back into Syria, harvest their crops so that they could keep feeding their people. And, you know, it's just a whole different story, depending on what the situation is. That's what you get. Well, and the color of your skin and where you are geographically. So we have been trying to get the world to care about Yemen now for seven years and saying that it's the largest catastrophe. You know, it's a it's already an extremely poor country and has been bombed and bombed and bombed with U.S. bombs uh, continually. 
and the media pays virtually no attention to it. And then we have the situation in Afghanistan where, you know, it went on for 20 years and now the U.S. stealing $7 billion of Afghan money, allowing the economy to just collapse uh, and people literally starving. And yet where's the global outcry to say, hey, U.S., first you go in and bomb the heck out of them and then you steal their money, you know, give it back. You know, it's it's pretty much the same thing. You could say, let's let's just have a dream scenario that's a horrible nightmare, where uh, uh, the the military of Russia goes into the foreign reserves bank in Kiev somewhere and steals all their money and runs back to Russia. Would the would the would the world community be going? Well, I guess they've left. Everything's hunky dory. Well, and let the economy so. collapse. No, but I think, you know, Billy, what you're getting at is um, what we feel really deeply, which is there are unfortunately lots of wars uh, going on that are ignored by the media that the American people don't know about and therefore don't care about. And we want them to care about all people. We want them to care about the Ukrainians and the horrific hardships that they are going through, facing tremendous violence and fleeing by the hundreds of thousands and maybe the millions. In freezing cold weather. In freezing cold weather. Mm -hmm. And we want Mm -hmm. them to care about the Yemenis and we want them to care about the Afghans and we want them to care about the Syrians and the Iraqis and and the Libyans and Libyans Mm. and on and on. And and it's it really is a large problem of the media that doesn't bother to cover these wars when the U.S. is the main aggressor of them. And uh, so it's very hard for us to build up that kind of sympathy and empathy uh, and to build the political pressure. We need to stop the wars when the majority of American people don't even know that they're happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the the um, the construction of the war story has been since Vietnam always lying. It's been they've been concoctions, haven't they? Yeah. Uh, in in uh, certainly in Nicaragua and Panama and all the all the uh, the uh, uh, colonial wars closer at hand. There's always typically a um, a, dic- a, a, dic- a dictator that they call names like a cocaine addict, or they they find they find ways to create a evil. And and I I uh, uh, I'm aware. I'm I'm a I'm pretty aware, I think because of my own background, my own personal background, I'm pretty aware of Puritanism. And right now, we just love to hate Putin. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, uh, we're just itching that itch, you know? And it, it's, when I think, but when I think of all the wars going back and back and back and back and back that were, um, especially Vietnam and Iraq, but uh, the smaller ones as well. Um, they were just marketing people in the White House that were creating these scenarios that people would buy. And I, uh, 
I remember people just responding to uh, signalings that they were supposed to hate a certain a certain dictator or hate the, 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 the hatred of the American public was just directed uh, so the so the war could go on on schedule. Now here, uh, so I, I kind of I kind of hold that. You know what I mean? I, I have that in my knowledge when I when I'm this orgy of hatred towards Putin. Yeah, I'm, you know, he's evil. But can I relay a little story to you? Yeah, go that ahead. That happened to me. I was working. I, I have a, I worked 20 years in film and television and I was working on a big film set in 1991 when the United States decided to bomb Baghdad and uh they don't stop filming for any reason whatsoever. This day, they rolled in this giant TV, and I had never seen a giant TV in 1991. They weren't ubiquitous like they are today. They rolled it out on the set. Everybody stopped filming, stopped working, and started watching the United States of America bomb a foreign country indiscriminately, just drop bombs everywhere all over Baghdad. And the shouts of the people like they were watching a um, fireworks show and cheering and clapping. On the I set? Was, uh, in the, in I the, the set. Yeah, oh, I yeah. was horrified. These are liberal, <laughs> progressive thinking Americans, most of them on movie sets. And they're cheering on the murder of people. Yeah, it's what unites people in this country. And Billy, we, we think back on all the two decades now of protests we've done in uh, D.C. and around the country is Code Pink. And I think Tyke's favorite has always been when you came with the choir. Oh, and the message was don't buy Bush's war because we knew it was a war being sold to us. And in fact, I remember it came out in The New York Times that uh, the administration of Bush was saying in August, well, we're not going to roll out this war until the fall because the summer is not a good time for marketing. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so there you were with us. And, uh, you know, we were we had this great message of don't buy Bush's war. And I think, you know, our message is don't buy war. We're not here to say this war is a good war. This war is a bad war. War is bad and it's evil and people get killed. And there are always bad people who make these wars and there's bad people who then respond to the wars. It's, but the real evil is war itself. And that's where we are today. And we have to educate people that, you know, don't put your energy into demonizing the war maker, demonize the war machines and find a way towards diplomacy. And anybody who listened to Biden's State of the Union, uh, you can do a Google search of the transcript and you won't find the word diplomacy, you won't find the word negotiations, you won't find the word peace talks, because it was nowhere to be heard. We mm. had the Democrats and the Republicans cheering the U.S. Uh, being tough on sanctions, on hurting uh -huh. the Russians, on crippling their economy, which means hurting ordinary people, but not one mention of how we're going to solve this problem. And that's through talks. It's the only way to do it. And Biden didn't even mention it. Oh, indeed. I, I sometimes want to have a, a expanded uh, 
definition of the word peace, we have a huge number of young people involved in video games that are shoot 'em ups uh, in which they're flying fighter planes and shooting people on the ground um, and deriving pleasure from um, pretending they're at war. Uh, that, that video game empire is as big as Hollywood. I understand. Mr. Hollywood, is that true? I've heard that. This is, this is a fact, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you can corroborate by... Um, uh, they say that, you know, we're, we're held in a state of tension in this country. We're, we're held in a, this is, this is pure church of stop shopping uh, right now. Uh, they, they believe studies have shown that if you live in a city and have a computer, you're exposed to 10,000 advertisements a day. Uh, and, and it seems to me that we are in a state, a state of tension, of held tension, uh, where these products are just raining down on us. Some of, some of them are directly violent, but the, there's violence in the, this physical environment. There's a kind of, there, there's a violence here. And we're not at peace on, on an average day in an average situation in the United States. And it seems to me that we're vulnerable to um, being directed into a war that is not, uh, like we, Iraq was like a video game. It was a video game. You know, shock and awe on that day that you were on the set. That was a video game. Smart bombs. Remember smart bombs? That was the that was the new candy bar. You know, they, and and they had cartoons of smart bombs coming up to uh, mid eastern homes and knocking on the door before they exploded. You know, they they were supposed to be so precise. So sometimes I th I think of the I think of the huge Pentagon militaristic. Um, lifestyle that we maintain here in this country having to do with just being in a state of a kind of tension all the time. What do you think of that statement? Well, I can say, I can say one thing is that Medea Benjamin wrote a book about drone warfare when drone warfare was just starting out. I have that book. <laughs> a lot of people thought at that time they're going like drones. We got them. They don't. What a what a great way of killing only the the really really bad guys like the the worst of the worst we've heard that one, and uh, now everyone's got drone war drones. As a matter of fact, uh, they're, they're, the drone warfare is going on in Ukraine right now. It's the most popular uh, way of killing right now. As as far as the news media portrays it, there's a lot of drone warfare going on there, and. Uh, uh, I just see that, um, you know, they keep trying to make it so that it's cleaner and nicer, except when we went to Pakistan, we were in the Waziristan in the Northwest Frontier Territories, and they were killing grandmas. They were killing the poorest of the poor. They were using multi-million dollar weapons to kill farmers, and it just made no sense. And then when they made a mistake, they couldn't take responsibility for it. So it's just... 
Well, and this is all so U.S. soldiers don't get killed because U.S. soldiers' lives matter a heck of a lot more than the lives of people in poor countries. And, you know, you were talking about living in a state of tension. It's also about living in a state of fear and uh-huh. making Americans fear each other, fear your neighbors, need uh, to put so much of our community resources into police because we're afraid and to put so much of our resources in the military because we're afraid. And there's any number of terrorist organizations, uh, ISIS, Khorasan, Al-Qaeda, mm-hmm. uh, you, you name it, um, that are all after us. And so we've got to keep the American people in the state of fear to justify um. The way we spend our resources. Well, what do you think? What do you think? Uh, what do we? What do you think we should do? Well, I think that a lot of what you're doing, which is making people feel the existential threat uh, to life on this planet because of the climate crisis, and I would add now um, the nuclear threat, which is coming closer and closer these days. Um, is to really make people understand how fragile the planet is and how much we need to turn our whole societal endeavor from one where we are planning destruction and killing and hatred to one where we're uh, looking at how to nurture this planet back Mm -hmm. to health, nurture Mm -hmm. each other back to health with this pandemic, uh, and um, find compassion towards each other. So it's all part of a whole that you so beautifully weave together, Billy, but that's the answer. Hey, can I ask you a question, Billy? Have you, yes. did you see the advert or the advertisement? The uh, It's going around on the internet where some very insane people in Ukraine are dipping their bullets into uh, pork fat and shooting them because something to do with uh, killing Muslims. I don't know what their issue is, to be honest with you, but I, they're making a big deal about it in the, in the news media right now. And I'm just thinking back to the time when we were sending uh, depleted uranium bullets with depleted uranium, missiles with depleted uranium, uh, uh, mortars with depleted uranium into Iraq to destroy the natural, the environment, not just a human uh, war crime, if you ask me, but a natural war crime. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. These are these are the kind of things that we they go. Oh, look at how horrible! And I agree, it's completely horrible and weird and to dip your bullets in in pig fat. But at but I can you know it's a it's not quite as bad as sending a tons and tons and tons of depleted uranium to destroy nature for fifty thousand years in Iraq. Or Agent Orange in Vietnam. Or Agent Orange in Vietnam. Are are children still being born right now with deformities as a result of that Monsanto product? Yes. To this day, you can go on and see it. They invite you into Vietnam to see these. And into Iraq. Yeah, and into Iraq too. But we were going to solutions. Oh, solutions. (laughs) Solutions is, to, is, to, is for NATO to back up. We need to dissolve NATO. We need to dismantle NATO. We need to dismantle war, militarism, yes. uh, those Amen. big 
the the five big weapons makers that uh, profit so much from killing. Um, we need to stop the manufacture and sale of all these weapons that we kill each other with in this country and then send to Mexico and other places. But well, what, are the, what are the five big, uh, let's say the names of those companies so that if somebody's listening right now and they have some an investment in one of them, they can disinvest. Honeywell, well, General Electric. Northrop Grumman, Lockheed, Lockheed Martin, Martin, Boeing, and Raytheon. There you go. And yeah. Oh, and, and uh, General Dynamics. There you go. Somebody, somebody just sat up in your chair, right? Yeah. And you're going to call your broker. We have a, a, an interest in a local company called Vanguard that uh, mm -hmm. is kind of under the radar. It's, it's, it's kind of like stuck in the 50s. It, it's like a Reader's Digest kind of company. And BlackRock is kind of right in front of it. And all all of us go to BlackRock because it's Larry Fink. And I, I was a, I was in a Code Pink uh, protest in front of BlackRock, maybe more than one. Uh, BlackRock attracts the, because they're so frontal and they have a skyscraper and it looks like a, a castle. But well, and they're the Vanguard, biggest. Go ahead. And they're the biggest. Not much bigger than Vanguard. Vanguard is more secret. Vanguard's seven trillion. And I always have heard that BlackRock is nine trillion. Is that right? But um, this Never is this, a trillion. <laughs> this is big. This is big. These are big piles of money. Asset management com companies that uh, do evade regulation and are basically just a kind of secret government. Um, between Vanguard and a. a, a an asset management company called State Street and BlackRock, those three, um, something like 20% of the average uh, 500 S&P companies is owned by these tremendously powerful company, companies that basically have the power of being board members and you know, they're 20%. So it's just, it's just like a, a small group of white males who, uh, um, uh, are the most Old powerful Harks. people in, in many, many, many companies in this country. And Vanguard is, uh, uh, their, their headquarters are in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. They're, um, they're just in, into coal power in India and China. I mean, they're just bad. They're just bad. Mountaintop removal, tar sands, they're in all the earth killing industries and they're getting away with it because they're just so quiet that they are uh, kind of like the first hedge fund company. They, they're called an index company. They basically don't have brokers so much as machines. And they invented that decades ago, back in like the 1960s. And uh, uh, so we're, we're starting to uh, look around BlackRock behind BlackRock is this twin sister company that, um, yeah, we're going to take a little trip down to Valley Forge, I think. <laughs> Sounds, <laughs> enjoyable. I don't know why I went off on that. I mean, it's just, you know, we're. Uh, well, we were we were talking about solutions and, and we were talking about the weapons industries. And last night in the uh, uh, State of the Union speech, 
they were ta- they were cheering the fact that they were going to send billions more weapons into a war zone. I mean, it's just insane. It's like throwing gasoline on a fire. Everybody knows that is not going to solve the problem. Well, it's- they also were saying um, about how we're going after the oligarchs in Russia and sure, go after them. But, you know, Taig always brings up what about our oligarchs? And when you talk about Vanguard and BlackRock and who heads these weapons companies, and by the way, um, it's not all old white men because four of the five largest weapon companies are run by women. Uh, but they are, you know, there are oh. oligarchs. And, um, you know, we have to go after our oligarchs just as we go after other oligarchs, because unfortunately, most of the oligarchs make their money in things like weapons, fossil fuels, uh, pharmaceuticals, you know, things that, that uh, are, are not uh, made to uh, help people or pharmaceuticals might be except for the price of them. And, um, you know, we've got our own oligarchs that try to keep us on a certain track. Um, they definitely have more access than we do. That's for sure. To our government, that's the definition of an oligarch. Oh, and it's funny about access because, you know, Billy, you were with us when we go into Congress in the good old days. And we could just walk into the rooms of our congressional representatives. Remember those old days? And there was an invisible sort of shield. Uh, if we got in the door, the cops wouldn't follow us because we were That's on some right. sort of. Then it was their property. It was immune, like, ah, you get uh, into we had immunity. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Unless the people in that office then called the cops on us. But we were able to get inside and we were able to go to the hearings. And if we risked arrest, we were able to get up and speak out in the hearings. And that was our little voice. You know, the oligarchs, they can meet in the inside and they don't have to fight their way in. But now that is uh, walled off to us because you can't get into Congress now unless you have somebody come down to the outside door and bring you in, meaning it's only for friendly meetings. And so we have lost a lot of our voice um, thanks to both COVID and the July 6 uprising. Uh, it's an excuse they have now January to keep 6. January 6 uprising to keep us out of the halls of Congress, uh, away from directly uh, confronting our representatives when they fail to represent us. Well, there's there's always away and i think it's it's somewhere in public space i don't think a lot of change comes from pixelated screens i think it comes from embodying what you believe and going out into public space singing that's what we do costumes contacting people one by one i i'm just personally down on that scale you know that that's many people would think that's just hopeless but not for us. We no, not at all. We love to go out in public space. Public space is um, increasingly privatized, uh, but in New York here, we just uh, we just uh, deny when the police come up and say this is private property. We just say, oh no, it isn't. And we just uh, bring in our lawyer, and the lawyer starts arguing that it's public space. Basically, that's what we do. We have we have a. We have a friend who's who's really good at that. A couple of them, and, and they just engage the uh, the the police in an uh, a free speech argument, <laughs> while we pass out our information and sing songs. 
Well, we totally agree because we never, well, maybe on a very rare occasion apply for a permit, but almost never apply no, for a permit. No, no. We always the First say Amendment is the permit. The first Amendment, and then, yeah. and then we sick Tig Barry on the police, and he always says that it's public space, even if it's somebody's and, house. And the other thing is they come they come and they say they don't want you to be here. And I go, Well, tell them to come down and ask us to leave. Yes, there you, you know, go. No, it's like you can't. Do you speak for them, Mr. Police <laughs> Officer? I don't think so. But reclaiming public space is what we love to do, what you love to do. And uh, it's so important to do. And we um, are constantly going out and getting, pushing people to go out, uh, not only into the streets, but, you know, in front of places where people need to hear this message. Sometimes it might be uncomfortable, like in front of a church or in front of somebody's home. Uh, but the message has to be out there and um, we bring it wherever we can bring it. And especially um, these days when they're closing off so many more spaces to us, like our own Congress, where we're supposed to be able to redress our grievances, uh, we have to go. Elsewhere. And they call it the people's house. Yeah. But unfortunately, they blocked the door. Only certain people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, it's such a joy to talk with you today, and I wish I was in Miami with you. <sighs> I can I can picture that street and those the wonderful gardens and and our Haitian neighbors and the, oh, the domino man. game on the corner. <laughs> you live in a great neighborhood, really yeah. wonderful. Thank you for talking with me today. Well, thank you for the honor of choosing us to be yes. on. Medea uh, Benjamin, Hallelujah, Tyke Berry. What an honor to talk with you today. Peace, Hallelujah. Peace, hallelujah. Love you, Billy. Take care now. Take care. Bye-bye.